Hi, and welcome to Mind the Millennial Gap. My name is Chris, and I'm an elder millennial. And my name is Jillian, and I'm a younger millennial. And together, we discuss topics from our viewpoints across the different ends of millennialism. And we are so happy to have you here with us. Woo! (laughs) I love how we woo our own intro before we start we've got to somebody's got over hype we're hype girling are are you hype girling yeah (laughs) hey jeej hey chris i didn't know we had like started (laughs) producer ace only said let's go (laughs) (laughs) read that wrong (laughs) read the room (laughs) go time awesome here we are we are back again Hello. Oh, geez. How have you been? I've been great. How have you been, Chris? Yeah, I've I've been a little busy lately, but I'm managing. Good. So, um, before I ask you the the question, anything new? Anything uh, you need to share? Uh, It's going to be my answer to the question, so no. (laughs) Then let's lead with that question. Of recent memory, what's the most millennial thing that you've done, Jeej? Okay, so yesterday, (laughs) y'all... I'm sorry, I'll keep a straight face. I got tattooed at a women's collective, and it was by the most, like, amazing person. It was, like, truly an experience, and I felt, like, very... I was sitting there in the, like, the little waiting room, and I was like, this is definitely the most millennial thing that's happened to me all week. Can can you explain the businesses that Mm -hmm. operate within the women's collective where a tattoo shop maybe not a parlor was present yes okay. absolutely so it's very cool it's um in salt like there's actually two locations and these are all women-owned businesses that they allow in there which i think is very very cool um the kind of main one i was at the secondary one the main one has a lot of like businesses that would be recognizable to you and i um some jewelry making some food some things like that also um just a, all small businesses all small right? businesses okay. yeah Owned by women. And then the one I was at was really, really cool. It had living spaces on the third and fourth floor. And then, like, space for a restaurant on the first floor that, like, doesn't look like it's been completed yet. And then on the second floor is it had, like, rooms and rooms of rooms. (laughs) And um, this, like, beautiful waiting area with, like, snackies and I feel like you just inceptioned me. You're, like, rooms of rooms of rooms. Yeah, it was, like, rooms of... (laughs) Yeah, there were rooms of rooms. (laughs) They were just nooks of rooms everywhere um and so i like had some time to do like a little wander there and i saw a couple of hair salons i saw a few tattoo places i saw um what looked like to be an energy healer um there was a psychologist in there too just like very cool and the energy was great it was just like clean and beautiful um and and very cool to be surrounded by that energy and the person who did my tattoo was not only talented but an absolute vibe um, well for the handful of people that listen do you want to <laughs> give her a free plug if see if anyone needs absolutely. tattoos absolutely her name is Kate Rose Tattoos um if you're a local to the Salt Lake area she is featured on Safe Tattoos Utah which I feel like is a very important thing that I want to mention TLDR what's that um, for everyone in Utah the tattoo industry is very relaxed as far as regulations and so there's not you can take like a, a class there's a couple of people that offer like classes on fine line tattoos um you don't have to be certified you don't have to do anything and it, it 
the is, artwork. That, is that a function of it bleeding into the beauty industry here in Utah yeah it a is bit? yeah um so you can get like not only like art that's not great or not done well but it can be unsafe um they're also really big about like safe spaces for for people who tattoo and yep. Um, I've been in some places where I didn't necessarily feel like great as a woman, um, getting tattooed. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm very grateful that this organization exists, that they're so vocal and they identify artists where, you know, like you can go and have a good experience. Um, and so she's on there, Kate Rose tattoos an absolute vibe. She does this thing called an intuitive tattoo. <laughs> intuitive looking. tattoo. Yes. Intuitive tattoo. Intuitive I just want to make sure people heard that tattoo where you go in and you give her a few words and um, you do like a meditation with her and she like draws this tattoo kind of based on the vibes. Um, and I am very into it. I was like, if, man, if I know when I'm going to be in Utah again with like enough lead time that I can book you, I want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so dope. Mm-hmm. Um, she was very cool. And that was it, what if you just end up with another rainbow cow? What if that is what gets manifested out of that co- honestly, conversation? Honestly, it, it is kind of the vibe, so <laughs> wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was very cool, and I had some time. She was very cool. She was like drawing while I was there. Yeah. Um. So I had a little bit of downtime to like do things, and I'm reading a book right now that I recommend called Cassandra Cassandra Speaks, where it talks about how our um, like the literature and the art that we've been uh, t- like introduced to in our lives is majority by male authors and from a male perspective and how that kind of informs our um, our feelings about gender roles in <laughs> which I know is like t- topical for today um, but they, they talked about how like even like female superheroes which is something I've talked to you about like I love Wonder Woman because she's strong and she's great but she doesn't espouse the male values of a superhero right she like loves ice cream she loves baby she's able to be soft and show that other side of what it means to be human um, in a way that I think is really beautiful so that would be an interesting really cool. juxtaposition of um, the public views of Wonder Woman over the decades as a character. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Right, because I think yeah. Wonder Woman came around maybe the 60s or something. There was oh, a TV show in the 70s. Yeah. Now there's Gal I'm Gadot. talking about the Gal Gadot version. <laughs> well, the, the juxtaposition <laughs> of that would be quite interesting to see if she was uh, uh, feminist-leaning, feminist-empowering, the whole like you know, the whole generation of all the yeah. eras to yeah. steal a, a term. Does does Taylor Swift own the the concept of eras now? Is that what we all have to concede? <laughs> I mean, every time now, I someone's like, I'm in my something era. I'm like, are you a Swifty? <laughs> Can we be friends? <laughs> Fair enough. That. Sorry, that's it was wonderful. a very long answer, but it was a very meaningful experience. No, I to think me. this is great. I think this is genuinely <laughs> us. This is what we talk about. Yeah. We don't have anyone controlling what we talk about, so we're going to do <laughs> do and say the yeah. things that we think we like, right? Yeah. It was just very cool to be in like such a such a place where it was like at the setting that everything was mm-hmm. for the female identifying experience, and yeah. it was just lovely. Environment environmentally agnostic of all of that. Yeah, uh, great artist, amazing Be- beautiful artist. Stuff. Oh my goodness, it's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, I think. I worked too much like the last two weeks. That's my millennial experience. That's your millennial experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. 
I've just been working quite a bit and then uh, making sure that we can make the move. You've been an amazing, amazing (laughs) partner. Um, I do have one quick update from last episode. Yeah. That's okay. Everything's okay. Go. Awesome. Okay. So our last episode was on Beanie Babies. Yes. Beanie Babies. Thank you. I forgot. And not one week later, I was at my parents' house as we're getting ready to move. My mom was like, hey, I've got a bunch of boxes of your things. Um, Can you come through and like look through them and decide what you want to keep, what you want to go? There has to be... An over index of a millennial experience where like your parents like maybe you neglected taking stuff out of the house and yeah. they've packaged it all up and moved it once or twice yeah, yeah. or it just like sits in the corner. It's like, will you come get this? And you're like, yeah, sure. I'll get it one of these days. And you never do. And then finally there's this ultimatum of we don't want your stuff here. <laughs> It's been 10 years. Can you please get it out of the house? And I think to my parents' credit, a lot of it was like the childhood toys I really loved, which are in really good Mm -hmm. condition still. And so they had been holding on to them for like either like kids of mine in the future to come play with or like Uh me to give to my kids. Um, And as it's kind of become, they had their first grandchild. My brother just had a baby, which is so exciting. Um, But as they kind of were like, oh, you might like this might not be your path. Like these things got moved to me. Um, and one of them was my Beanie Baby Flip. <laughs> we talked about in depth last episode. Uh, she looks just as gnarly as described. She definitely looks like she has been buried in blood all over. Um, I will feature her on the Instagram. <laughs> if anyone would yeah, like to see. Dust off the Instagram. Here we the go. picture of Flip. I hope Beanie Flip Baby only cat. has one eye. Flip has two eyes, but they are a little scratched. She has no whiskers left, and her beans look like they fell out at some point and got re-sewn. I don't have a memory of it, because she is, uh, she's not very, like, full anymore. For the non-cat <laughs> <Beans>. people. <laughs> oh, her beans that fill her up, never yeah. mind. I thought you meant, like, the hands. Oh, like her paws? Like the paws, yeah. <laughs> no, like her beanies and so. her beanie baby. <laughs> She she's in her like final throes of death era. Oh, she has been for like twenty years. Yeah, yeah. But we love Flip. Flip will be moving with us. Oh, jeez. Well, welcome, Flip. Uh, Okay, sorry. That was my update from last episode. We found a beanie baby. I love updates. We will definitely put that on there. Um, And not only was the beanie baby found, what wasn't divulged is there are pictures of young Jillian with Beanie Babies also in this box. Oh, it's true. We're trying to understand correctly, right? Yes, like, I had had a little camera when I was little, and I made my mom apparently take so many pictures of me with this Beanie Baby, (laughs) like, on my head, in my arms, doing a flip. (laughs) Yeah. All right, we will we will uh, give the old Instagram and other socials uh, a good dusting. We will, And we'll post something on there for you all. Okay, I have no updates because I have no Beanie Babies. Today, uh, I did let Jillian know so she could be prepared for the conversation. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about uh, just gender roles. Yeah. Yep. And how gender roles... Uh, are becoming softer, but still ultimately prevail from uh, just the surveying and the science of it all in America currently, right? right? And so I think when I talk about social things that are not, I'm sorry, I'll say this. Uh, I think Beanie Babies, we don't have to headline as much because they're just a toy. But when we talk about uh, things that are within the social parameters of what we are in Mm -hmm. our society and culture please know 
uh, I myself, I'll only speak for myself because I will always speak for Julia in this one. I am very live and let live as as it goes. I'm not here to support or deny uh, anyone the rights to go and think how they how they will and what makes them happy. And uh, this is just an insight into how the millennial generation views things in their conscious brain and how yeah. sometimes we don't see our more traditional behaviors being exposed in our unconscious brain. Correct, yeah. And as as far as gender goes, like we are both very affirming that like gender is on a spectrum. It's very fluid. It has nothing to do with the uh, sex you were assigned at birth. And mm-hmm. that's something we very believe. We very believe in trans lives matter a great deal. Yeah. Um, that gender fluidity is a very real thing. Um, and we are we are lucky to coexist in yeah. a world where it's it's that's beautiful souls are beautiful. Exactly. So uh, we have no intention to dive into the culture war no. that is uh, becoming headlines in our society. Yeah, no. This is more of us looking into how millennials view things and how we behave within the spectrums that we're starting to all uh, recognize, embrace, support, become. Yeah. Right? Yep. So just wanted yep. to get that out there for everyone. Uh, we are not here to be divisive we're here to be collective no but we are we are firm on that stance that mm-hmm. there's no room for hate in ourselves or in our community yeah um, yeah okay so on that note we're gonna paint a little bit of a picture as we get into to the topics here um i'm not at as uh documenting as jillian is in her research i don't go collect all the facts and bullet point them and document them and make sure that everyone gets credit for them uh but i do go read and i do go pick up on 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 themes that provoke like a thought train in my mind and so as i was uh what what prompted this whole thing because i am 75 when i'm in my car and i listen to npr (laughs) Exclusively, like I, th- I think, exclusively is the word. My car was on NPR today, and he's like, "Christmas have driven this last <laughs> <this> week." <laughs> uh, there was a headline that I was listening to on my on my drive that talked about how uh, maybe not necessarily millennials specifically, but the the majority of that like nice sweet spot of the millennial range of age in America is still very conforming to gender roles when it comes to a heterosexual relationship and housework duties. Mm. So I'm going to stop there. Okay. Right. That's, that's going to be towards the tail of what we talk about, but any thoughts on that generally? Um, Or do you just want to get there? I want to get there. I want to hear the lead up to it. Okay. So that got me thinking. I was like, but we are as a collective group as a whole Mm -hmm. have become more accepting yeah. have become more open-minded, have been more comfortable with the exploration of thought mm-hmm. uh, as it is a circumstance of gender labeling or identification of, of an individual is how I'll say that. So mm-hmm. in my mind, I was like, how in the world are we stuck in traditional gender roles when it comes to our like non-work lives? Interesting. And so that that's what sparked this like conversation in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so when I got looking into just the general uh uh news information of it all, 
the millennial generation is the most open-minded generation around the spectrum that can exist at uh, as it is recognized for gender and identification than any generation, including Gen Z. And so, uh, which when you told me that, this is one of the like few facts you shared with me yeah. ahead of that. That very much surprised me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because every single time we look at the math of some concept of a multi generational view, mm-hmm. it is progressively more or less, depending on the topic, of uh, increase as you go generation by generation here in America. Right, and it's kind of linear in how it's yeah. decreasing, right? Like, or increasing. Exactly. So it's like, it's it's fractional, and it yeah. looks just really nice and solid math. Yeah. Um, according to the my, my reading, uh, gen, uh, millennials are 56% as... Like, we don't necessarily need binary gender outcomes. Yeah. And uh, Gen Z is 50%. So it's not like they're like, drop way off the thing. But yeah. I would have expected them, if millennials are 56%, if it correlates to all other types of behavior in the math that we've looked at, yeah. I would expect them to be in the higher 50%, low 60%. Okay, hypothesis only. Yeah. I wonder if, because um, Gen Z is still pretty young, like a lot of them still live with their parents, a lot of them are still kind of in their houses and communities of upbringing, and we know that your brain doesn't fully grow until you're 26, which they're like, hitting now, they're kind of, the, mm-hmm. the older ones are a little bit over tw- 26 at this yeah. point. Um, and I wonder how that will change as they kind of go get a little bit older or if it will. I don't know. There's a lot of factors that they have that like in their lives. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm not just surprising. For, just surprising for me because yeah, it, was it was way off of the expected norm when mm-hmm. we've looked at everything. Right. Right. And so um, millennials are known to be, again, the most open minded about it all um they less and less adhere to um if they do have children or if they're asked but don't have children but the ideas of children they less and less uh believe that kids have to play with certain toys Mm -hmm. or not explore certain ideas when they're like pretending yeah and things like that um there there are concepts that uh, more girls in America. I'm sorry. More children born to millennials and maybe Gen Zs. More girls than ever are getting like gender agnostic names. Yeah. yeah. Right. Boys are getting somewhat gender agnostic names as well. And so, like this whole mm-hmm. concept of like a fine line of blue and pink mm-hmm. is becoming whatever the the color is now right and it's more singularity of it all um there are concepts of maybe not um how do i say this correctly of not just assuming masculinity as the direction for a male child and assuming femininity Mm -hmm. for the direction of a biological female child I'll, i'll Sorry, there's a lot of words to make sure that it's all said correctly, but a biological male child, a biological uh, female child. And so like more and more assigned at birth. birth, Thank you. So more and more, it's just been like a little bit more live and let live. I know that 
this is a distribution under a curve. There are tales to this. There are still people that want to uh, conform to a little bit more traditional mm-hmm. uh, conservative values of that uh, gender assignment at birth understanding and vice versa. I mean, completely agno- uh, yeah. agnostic to any thoughts or ideas on the other side of the tale, right? Yeah. But they're saying more and more underneath the curve, it's spreading spreading out from the mean as a little bit more of what is normal when it comes to the concept and understanding of what to expect from the traditional binary gender outcome, right? Right. And so to that point, they're saying, and this is where, (laughs) forgive me, most of our female uh, listenership, because I think you might disagree with this fact a little bit. They're saying generationally and decade over decade, more and more women are getting into the workforce. More and more women are finding themselves in positions of male-dominated leadership in the past. Mm -hmm. And so more and more women are finding themselves in like places of leadership that were a little bit less expected in the past, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe on the whole, like yeah. I, I, I see, I, I see big <laughs> swings one way or the other with right. that. I think it depends on the company culture and some yeah. of those things. So, no, yes, agree. please, please don't <laughs> sacrifice me over the podcast, um, <laughs> female listeners. But like that, that's what the data says. If that's right? what the data says. That's like wonderful, and I hope that becomes like trickles down to places that maybe not aren't coastal, mm-hmm. which is where I imagine some of these things are more prevalent yeah and the the data also says that more and more female identifying uh people of our society actually aspire to higher rate to become a ceo that's awesome uh, or a c-level executive of a company than men and that yeah men are very accepting of that and actually just at less and less rate want to be a c-level executive that's a completely different conversation. Like I had so many like spinoff thoughts <laughs> on this. And I was like, I can't make this a multi-part series. And I also can't make this a three hour podcast. <laughs> right. Um, I think there are still challenges. So I'll say this. I still think there are challenges in the binary aspect of gender in the workplace. I yeah. think women are scrapping and fighting in their place to, to get what they want and more accurately, if equality is placed there, like what they can achieve. Right. Um, but on the whole, two thirds of anyone polled still believe men have it easier when it comes to workplace uh, acknowledgement, workplace progression, fill in the blank. Right. I'd agree with that. And so it's just kind of like, it's, it's really interesting where it's like, here's this wider and wider and wider and wider spectrum. However, certain things won't come won't come along at the same pace, right? Yeah. Certain like American outcomes and ideals still don't come at the same pace of this like thought train and progression of the non-binary outcomes of of gender identification at birth and how people want to identify how they feel, all of the things that come along with the spectrum of gender, right? Um, at the same time. Because, I'll say this this way, because we're millennials, because we're racked with debt, because we're overeducated, because we need to make money to pay off our debts, because we have professional aspirations, because uh, we're turning more and more into 
independent and or dual income uh, partnership outcomes within our society. We've done an episode on this before where we, we have pets instead of children yeah. more often. Um, people aren't having children, one. Mm-hmm. And, it, and if they are having children, they're having them later in life. And it's quite interesting. I didn't give this any thought. That science is actually providing us this. It's amazing. I have several friends that have frozen their eggs um, to be able, like some of them don't have don't have a partner and they're like I mm-hmm. I would like to keep this as an option in future some are like I am very into my career and I would love like it is an inconvenient time for me to do this and it really is a little bit unfortunate that like our as a woman your fertility cliff is around 35 um and that's kind of the time when you're like really progressing in your career right you're past the beginning stages you're hitting this thing and kind of have to sit there and make this decision do I have kids now and kind of stop everything that I've been working on yep. or do I uh, like not do I choose not to have kids and continue on this career right I, it's kind of a it's a hard spot and so they're saying uh, from a period of 2012 to 2020 because I assume 2020 after 2020 or in those few years of 2020 and after the the, the math might be a little bit off yeah uh, IVF in, uh, I can't say in vitro fertilization. Thank you. Boy, it wasn't coming come out of my mouth. In vitro <laughs> fertilization, uh, more than doubled in revenue as, as a service because of this, like, putting off of the family, yeah. right? Of all of these things outside of gender. This is just becoming an outcome. Mm-hmm. So it's gone from, like, nine-something billion to 21-plus wow. billion dollars of revenue wow, wow, wow. for IVF services wow. in America. Yeah. And it's really interesting that I know that there's a trope that I don't necessarily want to give it honor, but it comes up so often and probably won't surprise anyone that it's like, oh, you know, once you get to a certain age as a woman, the trope is the the time is ticking for you to make some biological decision about having children or not. Right. I don't think it's a trope. I think it's a very real like fact that a lot of people have to deal with day in day out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what's interesting is <laughs> laden with debt, trying to get out from under debt, mm-hmm. highly educated, right. higher income earners right. allows someone to afford the choice yeah. of having uh, children at a later date and time in their lives than would biologically be optimal for them. Right. 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 I love that. I, I love that science has given kind of has widened our ability to have um, like a fertility window to have healthy babies if that's our choice down the road. And, and we're not as beholden to um, like a timeline as maybe past generations have been. Right. Yeah. And so like to that point, it's just kind of interesting how I don't think we have. I don't think any generation has a smooth road. I'd, I'd mm-hmm. love to just put that out there, right? Yeah. I think every generation has its own challenges. They just present themselves in the moment, and that's what is front of mind for us, right? Right. Um, um, the rare occasion I, I talk to my folks about just like how life was for them yeah. and in their like 30s and things like that and kind of what is uh, somewhat the entry of prime of life. Mm-hmm. In the times before that, and they're like, yeah, we went through, you know, uh, 
our friends being drafted in the Vietnam War. Yeah. We went through hyperinflation of this period of time of this political turmoil. We lived through um, less EPA guidance, and yeah. there's a lot of people that have been exposed to carcinogens and All things that like led. that, right? And so I'm not here to discredit any anyone anything, but no. we are a function of, I'm sorry, we are output and function of the uh, inputs that we have to react to in our circumstances yeah. is what it is, right? Oh, that, I think that was very profound, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's I, I find it interesting because millennials sometimes still the clicks are to bash like the 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 formula to get information on millennials are, is to bash them more than it yeah. is to like prop them up, right? And that's why I struggle. Yeah. That's why I struggle finding topics for this mm-hmm. podcast if it isn't my lived experience because I have to go sit there <laughs> and rake and sort and wade through the negativity yeah. that is the easier way to write about our generation. I remember just when we started this podcast, I was a little discouraged by how many articles. Yeah, we're just like, millennials ruined this. How millennials ruined this? And it was like, do we really? Or are things just changing? Right? Yeah. But I think the the this was long story long. The reason <laughs> I put all that in front of us is because the the American community is changing. Partner, no partner. We're all becoming a lot more financially well, how do I say this? Uh we're higher income earning on average as a generation. Um, I think we're a little bit more lonely as a generation. Mm, like if I were to go take a look at that. But for those people who have made a choice to uh embrace partnership, um, it's almost like the American cheat code. Dual income household really helps in a lot of those circumstances. Yeah. But that like concept of working, that concept of everyone being busy, that concept of people being responsible for many different things. And there's not just this linear, like really fine line in the sand of this person is the breadwinner. This person is a support system, potentially like it was way back when I don't want to discredit any, any, uh, circumstances of, uh, people in the, the mid 1900s to, uh, like the 1980s or something like that. But I think, more predominantly, there was a single income earner. If there was uh, a relationship or concept of family, there was someone that was a support system that was potentially not the income earner in certain socioeconomic outcomes there. It's becoming less and less the, the, the case, yeah. right? Uh, the, the inflation that we face, the debt that we potentially took on, all of right. those things need cash flow in order to like survive and operate. Yeah. But it really affects the home and how we operate either singularly or in a partnership or in a family unit, depending on what your home life and your home circumstances are. But they talk about how millennials, and this is where we're going to get into gender roles uh, when it comes to non-professional life. They more and more will come together and figure out the responsibilities of the home. Gender agnostic. That's wonderful. They more and more are accepting of different combinations of family units, yeah. right? They're more yeah. and more are just saying, how can we just make a collective that is optimized for us, right? And it's like, 
here we are. Uh, I think we unconsciously came into whatever this collective is that that Jeej uh, and I live in. We have producer Ace. That's a very uh, beloved part of yes. of our of our small house here. We have we have other friends and other family that uh, interlace and come and go. But at the end of the day, Jillian and I don't live what was the um, leave it to beaver, like put up on a pedestal type of like household outcome. And it's really funny for me to like look at all the the details of what I've been reading on this. I just talked a lot and it looks like you have something to say. I don't have anything to say. Oh, okay. It wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) (laughs) But I think what is very interesting is the, the, the next data point was we are a function of our upbringing when it comes to our unconscious Mm -hmm. outputs of our home life is what the science is saying no matter how progressive you are in your conscious mind to recognize all the shapes and colors and sizes of identification outcomes along the gender scale we often find ourselves unconsciously falling back into more traditional female and male household duties. Yeah. What in the world? How can that be? I like think... I'm still I'm still like stumped <laughs> by it. No, I think I think that's really interesting and like all I can ever draw on is my own experience, right? And I mm-hmm. very much see that. Um I grew up in a house where my dad worked and my mom stayed home with us, but there was, and while she did like cooking, cleaning, um, most days my dad did a lot of cooking too. He'd come home and he'd cook and on weekends he'd always make breakfast and he'd cook for us. Um, and he like very much when he was able to be at home, he pitched in on childcare Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, would like do stuff with us on Saturdays to kind of give my mom some room. Um, and so even though like I did have kind of that dad goes to work, mom stays at home, I never felt like cooking was my mom's job, right? Or anything. It was just like, she's the one available to do it. So it happened, like she doesn't most of the time, but it's not her job, um, And in stark contrast, I was in a relationship where the expectation we both worked um, was that I cooked, cleaned, did laundry, all of that on top of maintaining a job. And that was very something that was modeled um, by that person's home life, right? And so, and was encouraged by like that person, like the the mom was really intent that I cooked and cleaned and everything, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's, that's what a good wife did without acknowledging like hey you didn't work (laughs) you never worked I don't like we're both working hours it's unfair it makes me feel like less of a true partner Mm -hmm. if I have to come home and do like extra duties while someone else plays like video games right like how it it doesn't feel great so I, I definitely see that like it's startling how much our like childhood effects are like thoughts throughout life but it makes sense. It's when your brain is like malleable. Right? So yeah. more women in the professional workforce than decades before, if not ever. And it's like, you're just, you're just a function of this thing that's happened to you years and years and years ago. Mm-hmm. That's like deep inside of you. And you have to like consciously be like, I don't do it 
male or female, I, mm-hmm. or anything in between. I'm not saying that anyone is assigned to it, but it's like the the concept that it's not unconsciously understood, right? The concept that it's, hey, what are the things that you don't enjoy doing in the work household? What are the things you do <laughs> enjoy doing in the work household? How can we split these things to where we support each other, if not everyone, and not like have the resentment of I had some unspoken expectation that I don't do this chore or activity around here rather than seeing the need filling in and or ensuring that other things are done because I me myself like as an example I'll let everyone know uh, laundry <laughs> I am very good at starting laundry I am very good at getting it to all of a point of clean, so there's always clean clothes. I fall apart, fall apart hard when it comes to organizing, folding, hanging, and putting it all away because it just, I just hate it. I hate it so much. I just That's live funny. I just live out of a clean basket before Jillian came around. <laughs> so clean basket of clothes, be like, Oh yeah, I know where everything is. It's in here somewhere. Yeah. Maybe not the, the most professional lifestyle to ever have been lived. Uh, no. It's just not for me. I just can't stand doing it. And that's something that I don't find a burden. So that's like, that's how our relationship works. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm very happy to do laundry. I hardly cook. If ever. <laughs> hardly ever cook. And uh, like, Chris takes on the huge, huge responsibility of like feeding me three times a day, <laughs> for which I'm very grateful. Yeah. But um, they they did they um did a survey. I'll have to look and see. Let's see. It looks like a Gallup survey here, and they looked at uh, men and women in a heterosexual ho- household, men and women in division of labor on mm-hmm. certain like common household chores and so it was men women or both was was the outcome yeah. and then they subdivided it between 18 to 34 and 35 to 54 it does everything you would think it would do there's nothing here that that makes you think that we are who we aren't right and so the younger uh identified for instance laundry right yeah again laundry uh I was single for years. I was in charge of my laundry. I was in charge. No one else was doing it for me. And it was, I, I made it happen. I wasn't the best at it. Right. <laughs> but, um, 1834, like 16% of men surveyed said that they do the laundry. 55% of the women surveyed said they do the laundry. 28% identify as, uh, they both. Yeah do the laundry right and as you get older you'll see it tick a little bit into the more traditional like gender roles yeah and those types of things but like laundry meals washing dishes cleaning house like caring for kids like those major main ones you'll see as men and women surveyed are a little bit younger the men in the less traditional like scenarios tick into it a little bit mathematically percentage wise uh the women um, yeah, it's kind of give or take, but the both starts to increase too yeah. Yeah. on that kind of stuff. And it's like, it's really interesting to where this whole concept of, um, for me and our heterosexual relationship is what I'll talk about. Uh, I call you my partner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love that. It catches people a little sideways mm-hmm. when I say that. Um, because I think if you hear 
partner with a certain trained ear, you would think it's a, a non-heterosexual relationship. Yeah. I think it's important, though, that, like, I know some people have, like, some issues with it. I know some people personally that are like, oh, I hate when people do that. Mm-hmm. But, like, to me, I'm like, normalizing that language, like, makes it a safer place for everyone, right? So the people that aren't for that, like, you no longer can pick it out. You no longer, like, can target someone based on the language that's used. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I forgot. I was talking to someone at work the other day, and so Jillian was exclusively labeled my partner before we got married. Um because that's what we were. Girlfriend, fiance, all of that stuff wasn't truly what she was to me. Uh, we got married, and I still leaned into partner, but occasionally I'd be like, I guess she's my wife? It sounds so weird. I still, I think I've called you my husband like twice. Yeah. Maybe. Right? <laughs> it's only when I'm like, there's a man backing me up who can take you down. <laughs> He's big and strong. <laughs> He's just chubby in the right places. No. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, someone that I worked with uh, felt comfortable enough to tell me, like, yeah, when I, when you talked about your partner in the past, I I thought that you were uh, homosexual until like the context of the conversation led in to know that Jillian, my partner, is a female, right? And and I was like, I can understand that, and I I'm smart enough to see that when I was using that word, but mm-hmm. wasn't afraid uh, to use that word mm-hmm. because I think partnership is really what makes our relationship work as well as it possibly can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wonder if, again, I have no figures on this. I have no science on this. But I wonder if more and more millennials might see themselves as partners than they do as in a heterosexual way or maybe even non-heterosexual way. When when you come together in in a relationship... Do you see yourself more as an equal weighted partnership mm-hmm. that has some ebb and flow? Yeah. Right. Going the, to happen. There, there are certain things that I fall apart on and I just don't do well that Jillian has to lean in and, and vice versa. Right. But do you have the expectation and do you have the understanding that people are equal in the relationship and that equality comes with the good and the bad of equality, right? It's yeah. like the garbage needs to get taken out, someone's got to take it out, right? <laughs> yeah, but like, it's uh, no one's job to take it out. It's- yeah, but that thought train of like partnership, I wonder if that's a little bit stronger in, in, in us as millennials or as our generation as millennials, as they may have unconsciously have taken that from, they're the first, I'm sorry, in mass, they're the first generation to have dual income households yeah. normalized. Yeah, that makes so, sense. So they unconsciously learn the concept of partnership as they saw uh, what was presented to them in their household. Yeah, if if they're in that type of household, right? Yeah. But it's like, why why do we accept partnership more than gender roles? Why do we accept partnership more than gender roles? Yeah. Why do you no. and I identify partnership more than gender roles? I think because we I think because we view ourselves as equal and we view gender roles as outdated. Like we are very in line with this concept of like things need to happen and we like care about each other and we care about this like household, mm-hmm. producer ace included, like enough to be like if there's a gap we're gonna fill it. If we like if there's something someone just can't do, like all hands on deck, that's fine. We'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, exactly right. And it just this has just been such a profound thought to me. I've been yeah. thinking about this for about three weeks now. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I heard this a while a while ago, and I hold on to my topics until it's my turn. Um, <laughs> I'm very supportive of everyone living the way that they want to live their life yeah. and doing the things that bring them the most and ultimate happiness. Yeah. I just find it very interesting that as our society continues to try to progress and as it crashes up against some, some of the walls or things that would try to prevent it from progressing that we can consciously like with, with focus and purpose be progressive uh, in our thoughts of what we support, but unconsciously revert back into behaviors that are not our conscious, like actions and outcomes. Yeah. And the brain is such a powerful thing. It just amazes me. I definitely went into the wrong like line of work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no, that is interesting. And that makes me think like, will people kind of the millennials children generation? I think it's alpha is kind of what they're being labeled. I um, saw that today. Like, I didn't know that they were called alpha. Yeah. Z and I'll start over again, um, <laughs> which is a big circle. They, I wonder how they will approach this in their adulthood. Like, will they see, like, even though we still have maybe some unconscious bias or some unconscious, like, maybe some conscious thought about, like, who does what, mm-hmm. will they be even less likely to, like, lean into that or, or, or what? I don't know. Yeah. It'll, it'll be really interesting to see, like, at the end of the day, the, the the social experiment that is this world of humanity that we live on yeah. is fascinating to me. The antagonists, the protagonists, the influences, mm-hmm. the things that are unforeseen and how just like as a human race, we all react to it. And then you subdivide us up into our geographical regions our socioeconomic outcomes of all of that. And like, we just slowly become what we are in our space versus collectively across humanity. Yeah. Right. And so where we can see other cultures and other generations don't identify with, with the American millennial at scale. Right. And some of them are even further ahead. If you're thinking in progressive thoughts at scale there too. But I think at the end of the day, thank you all for going down this thought train that is my, like, we won't lose sponsors because we don't have any, like, ramblings here. <laughs> but I thought this was just so fascinating how we can be so open-minded and uh, accepting on the whole, right? I can't speak for everyone. Yeah. But open-minded and accepting of what uh, freedoms uh, potentially are provided to us by a couple of documents from long ago but still find ourselves tripping over ourselves in our conscious progressive thoughts, right? Yeah, the brain is hard. That wiring is hard to change and unlearn, and especially as, like, a collective, so hard for us to, like, steer the collective ship even just a little bit. So, honestly, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the relationships that I see my friends in that are really good, the ones that are really good and really healthy where, like, childcare is equally divided. Um, 
other things are equally divided like effort mm-hmm. is recognized everything it's, it's, it's a team awesome. win it's a team winning yeah 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 i think of tanner and sarah or sarah has been on the podcast before yeah, she's wonderful um like how they parent their little girl and kind of the the, the ebbs and flows that both of them take from yeah. my observation have been absolutely beautiful so, so i love it i'll wrap it <laughs> i'll wrap this all up um everyone find your happiness yeah find the things that make you happy life will uh, do what it does to take you away from it. So find yeah. your happiness, leave yourself a breadcrumb trail so that you can go <laughs> back and find it again when, when life maybe takes you away from yeah. it. Yeah, I love that you say that, Chris. <laughs> <It's> so cute. <laughs> All right, anything else, Jeej? No, this was, this was a great conversation. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, of course. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.